Welcome to Conversations with Craig. I'm Craig DeRoche, the President and CEO of Family Policy Alliance. This is the first episode of 2023. To celebrate the new year, we'll look back on what happened in family policy in 2022. Today, we're joined by three special guests to unpack this past year. But first, it's time for One Minute with Craig, where I give my take on the issues of the week. But today, I'm going to try to recap the entirety of 2022 in just 60 seconds. So here we go. Three, two, one. Bad news first, the Biden administration tried to force insurers to pay for transgender procedures, redefine the word sex, and promised to codify Roe versus Wade. Meanwhile, Congress tried to pass abortion on demand and passed a bill codifying same-sex marriage into federal law. A draft opinion was leaked from the Supreme Court. Pro-life groups were the targets of violence in several states passed radical pro-abortion measures. A male swimmer even took a women's NCAA title in California now allows the state to kidnap kids from around the nation in order to perform transgender procedures on them. Okay, that's some crazy stuff that happened in 2022. Now for the good news. A number of states with laws to save girls sports doubled in 2022 in just one year. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a groundbreaking law protecting children from sexualized content in the classroom. The Biden administration was defeated in its attempts to thwart religious freedom. The Supreme Court upheld religious freedom and, of course, brought the biggest news of the year. Roe versus Wade was finally overturned. Already, so many lives have been saved and we know it's just the beginning. And that, folks, was 2022 in just 60 seconds. We are so glad you're enjoying Conversations with Craig. Your experience doesn't have to stop here. To stay connected with other listeners, hear about current events affecting your family, and to share pictures and videos with your friends, follow Family Policy Alliance on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out the links in the show notes, and we'll see you online. With that background in mind, I'm going to bring in our three guests who will be doing a deeper dive into what happened in the states, in federal policy, and for life around the nation. We'll hear from them one by one, starting with Ryan McCann. Ryan is the executive director of the Indiana Family Institute, which has been a longtime ally of the Family Policy Alliance and leader for families in the Hoosier State. This year, Ryan was hard at work in Indiana on a variety of issues, from defending life to saving girls' sports. So I asked him if he could share his perspective on what was happening at the state level in 2022. Here's that interview. So Ryan, uh, uh, saving girls' sports, a significant trend we saw in 2022 was that more states were passing laws to save girls' sports. In fact, the number of states that did that doubled since 2021. Indiana was one of those states, and you had quite a journey getting that done. Can you share with us uh, on what that felt like and uh, uh, what you went through for our audience? Absolutely. First, Craig, I just want to thank you and FBA for all the wonderful work you guys do. You guys are really a national leader on so many of these faith, family, and freedom issues, and we're so thankful for the partnership. Uh, when we turned to Indiana and uh, women's sports, we were very blessed that Idaho and a few other states had already come before us. And that was particularly helpful for our legislators to know they weren't the first to do this. 
we were able to pass a women's sports bill through the Indiana House and the Senate. Originally, the bill would have covered uh, sports all the way from kindergarten through uh, university level. And unfortunately, colleges and universities were taken out through the process. But we ended up with a bill that protects women's sports K through 12. Uh, unfortunately, we had a, a, a veto by the governor, but then the legislature was able to come right back over the summer and, uh, and overturn that veto. So we were very pleased that that is now current law in Indiana, that we're protecting women's sports. Could you... This wasn't just in Indiana, but overriding a governor's veto, overriding a president's veto, that's a big deal. And, and our audience doesn't often recognize how hard that is, especially in the case of Indiana, where it's a Republican legislature, a, a red state and a Republican governor. So what does it take to override a veto and what does that look like? And, and I'll give you the next question, too. Was it bipartisan, the override of your governor's veto? Absolutely. It is difficult. Uh, we've seen that the last several years where it's difficult when you have a little bit more moderate governor like we have in Indiana and a more conservative legislature. Even with that, they often don't want to take on their own uh, leader of their party and their state. And thankfully, we've been able to see more and more of that where uh, conservative causes are, are coming out on top, even when our governor maybe doesn't support them. And so that was hugely helpful. You know, we're a part time legislature in Indiana. So we had the regular session January through March ish and uh, then had to come back in the summer uh, to override the governor's veto. And then again for our special session on abortion. So uh, for a part time legislature, it felt full time this year. And so I give a lot of credit to the legislative leaders and uh, the legislature in general for for taking the time to do that and come back and override the veto along with other things that they've done. Um, and so as far as the bipartisanship, unfortunately, no, uh, it was quite a, a partisan vote. We have Republican supermajorities in the House and the Senate in Indiana. That's not conservative supermajorities, but that is Republican. And so uh, really, the Democrats don't need to show up and there's still enough uh, members to conduct business. So unfortunately, it was not very um, bipartisan. Uh, it was a pretty partisan vote. Uh, however, it was overwhelming. Well, you, you've given us in, in our audience some things in what you've just said, though, that are a pretty big deal. Uh, um, it's a part-time legislature. Uh, uh, legislators are not really paid a lot of money to come back uh, outside of session. They have other jobs and, and other careers, uh, but they're willing to come back, to stick up for families and, and, and to advance their values. And uh, um, and that goes in the face of, of a lot of pressure, I'm sure, from uh, a governor of, of their own party. And while it wasn't bipartisan uh, in Indiana, it is encouraging uh, uh, to hear that a supermajority exists that are, are pro-family uh, um, and, and that want to protect our children, want, want to stick up for the civil rights of our of our daughters and, and uh, uh, of the girls playing in their high school and in uh, sports. Um, and uh, Ryan, this is a look back at 2022, though. There were other uh, states, uh, you know, that overrode their their uh, governors on on different issues as well on values, and I, I you know, I just want to get your take. Like I, I know Arkansas did on on protecting uh, children from dangerous um, uh, hormone and uh, uh, surgeries um, before they're 18 years old. I know Utah did on on uh, girls' sports. I, I I think I might be missing one here, but. Uh, um, did, did you guys communicate with each other or, or was this just something you observed each other do uh, in 2022? And do you think that that trend of overriding governors that they go against parents' rights and, and uh, protecting children is uh, just beginning? 
Absolutely. I think we can hearken all the way back to 2015 in Indiana, where we had our Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And unfortunately, Mike Pence at the time uh, signed the fix into law. And you see problems with governors um, starting then and, and going forward. And you've seen more and more willingness since that time for legislatures to override uh, the governors and push their states in a more conservative direction on these issues. And I'm very encouraged by that. Um, you, you see the situation like with Christy Noem uh, years ago when she had uh, created some problems for their women's sports bill and they needed to come back and backtrack on that. And uh, same way with Asa Hutchins and, and others. So I, I'm encouraged. I think what this really is are, are uh, grassroots folks that support us, support FBA, support our state, uh, state groups all over the country. The average citizen is saying enough. Uh, we're going to go back to common sense. We're going to support pro-family policies that make sense in our culture. And we're going to encourage our elected representatives and senators to, to support that. And uh, I think the governors in these states are more uh, vulnerable to corporations and, and some of the business interests. But when you have the entire legislature, uh, I think you have more of a check on some of that power. And so I'm encouraged long term. Uh, and I really think the power is in the legislatures to to come back and, and do the right thing on these issues. Well, they certainly showed it in 2022. And I think that that would be a welcome uh, uh, trend. A lot of these governors uh, have been involved in politics for 20 or 30 years before they ascend to being governor. And they might be out of touch with, with uh, some of the issues that uh, parents are dealing with right now. And it's good. Uh, to have a, a family policy council like the Indiana Family Institute that's there uh, um, to educate, inform, and equip these legislators that, that uh, uh, for the privilege they have in a co-equal branch of government, want to be that check and balance, want to take on that governor. And uh, uh, Ryan, the, the next issue I want to talk to you about in 2022, um, you and I both stand on the uh, on the shoulders of some giants that have been fighting uh, Roe versus Wade since uh before you were born and, 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 and since I was about three years old, um, this year Roe fell uh, uh, completely. Uh, um, unfortunately, personhood was not recognized in the 14th Amendment as many of us hope and pray that it will at some point in the future. Uh, but in the meantime, we're left where states are able to effectively define when life begins and protect life uh, um, and states have been beginning that. Tell us about what that's like um, to be a, the executive director of a state group uh, that, that was told by the Supreme Court of the United States you couldn't do anything uh, for decades. And now you're beginning to do stuff in Indiana and elsewhere. What does that feel like? Where are we in the, in the movement? Um, you talk a little bit about Indiana, but also talk about nationally, what, what that um, looks like to you um, as um, maybe this is a beginning. Uh, uh, for us uh, um, to uh, protect life uh, um, and, you know, with, with this uh, ruling surprise some, but, but uh, um, others were very prepared. And I know your organization is moving forward full steam ahead. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think back decades ago when I was in college and really uh, got introduced to politics and public policy and really the life issue is what motivated me. Uh, back then and just understanding what abortion is and how the abortion industry profits off of the pain and suffering of, of women and, and others in our community. And so that's been always a major issue for me. It's been a major issue for the Indiana Family Institute. And I, I broke down in tears when I first heard that Roe was overturned. I knew that there was a chance, but the fact that it actually happened was so shocking and amazing 
because it's something that I personally and our organization has fought for, uh, you know, forever. And so I think of the pro-life champions from the seventies the and before even, uh, and, and beyond that have just fought this fight and laid the foundation for all of us to be able to come, um, come after them. And so, uh, in Indiana, we were very fortunate in that we had been planning. We have a great right to life organization here in the state of Indiana, Indiana right to life, where we work very closely with. And so myself and Mike Victor, the head of Indiana right to life, we had been in conversations, uh, for many, many months, uh, before, Roe was even overturned and then after Roe was overturned with planning and trying to think through our special session. And so we encouraged the legislature to hold a special session here in Indiana. They did that over the summer and were able to pass some good pro-life legislation. It wasn't fully what we would want. And there were some warts in there that we uh, encouraged the legislature not to do. However, we worked very, very hard and uh, did a tremendous amount of work during that legislative session to protect life in Indiana. And so current, you know, uh, previous to Roe, there was only so much that we could do on the state level. Um, abortion was legal at about 20 weeks. And um, there was just so many federal uh, court cases that ha kept having to go up and, and we would win some, we would lose some. And it was, it was really hard to go after abortion uh, any more than that. So we had seven to 8,000 abortions that were happening here in Indiana. It was really hard to, to chip into that. So during our special session, we ended abortion at conception. There are some exceptions for rape and incest and, and some other things. Um, and, and some of those exceptions are were poorly written and uh, I think have too much of uh, uh, some some problems there. But the fact of the matter remains, because Roe versus Wade was overturned, we were able to pass a law ending abortion clinics in Indiana, um, saying that abortion uh, should not be allowed from conception on. Um, and that's, that's just amazing to have that opportunity where throughout our entire history as an organization, there was never that opportunity because of Roe. And so that's uh, not only here in Indiana, we were, we were very blessed to be the first state in the, in the nation where our legislature got to speak out on this. But it's amazing to me to think about the rest of the nation as, as states continue to protect the, the unborn and uh, vulnerable women in their state because Roe has been overturned and the constitution has been returned back to a proper understanding. You know, the states get to make these decisions and that's the way it should be. Yeah, and um, last topic while we're together here is on parents' rights. This certainly um, has always been an issue in government, in, in, in governance, you know, of, of, of uh, the parents. Um, the governments are supposed to serve the parents. They're, they're supposed to uh, um, have policies that help families thrive, not hold uh, uh, parents and families back. Uh, we, we've seen uh, the grip of the government on, on uh, parents' rights uh, change significantly over the decades, and particularly this year where we see the contrast where Florida is being celebrated as returning a lot of parents' rights and trying to protect children, and California is passing laws just literally stripping parents of, of their, their ability to be the parent of their child. The government um, is the uh, sole source of, of information, the North Star for uh, uh, the child, and it's scary. Um, but we don't need to go into Florida and California. Some of that stuff's available online. Uh, what I wanted to share with you is that we, as we look back in 2022, Indiana and a lot of other states have done some very innovative things. And, and it's really that you've looked local, haven't you? And you've tried to make a difference there. Uh, and you're not the only one. You're not the only uh, family policy council, but share with us 
what you guys did in 2022 as we move into 2023 and we're trying to find a way to protect parents at the federal, state and local level. Absolutely. Well, the old adage is all politics is local. And so we took that seriously. We hired a gentleman by the name of Martin Strother, who had taught in the public school system for 19 years and had, uh, taught here locally in Indiana for most of that. And uh, he got involved with this. And, and really what he is trying to do and we're trying to do it as an organization is equip parents, school board members, administrators, teachers, so many in these local school districts that want to do the right thing but just really need the organization and the help to, to do it. And so we got involved in a number of school board races as well, this election cycle, 14 of those uh, good pro family school board members were elected. Now we're helping them as a, as they are school board members to try to do the right thing and change some of these school districts around. But we really think that's where the power is. The power is with the people, uh, people and parents, even folks that may not agree with us on all of our values, maybe a little bit more center left, they agree that some of these crazy things that are happening in school districts need to stop. We need to get back to academic excellence, get away from politicizing the school districts. And so we're doing that local community by local community, trying to equip parents, teachers, administrators, school board members, others who understand this. And there, there are many. Uh, we're just trying to equip them and organize them and help them to be effective. Well, that is an amazing report from 2022 about what you're doing at the Indiana Family Institute. Ryan McCann, it's been a privilege to be with you. And uh, um, really, as we head into 2023, what is possible in, in life and in uh, parental rights and in protecting the civil rights of our girls. And uh, we thank you for being with us today. Now, we can't talk about 2022 without covering the overturn of Roe versus Wade. Joining me now to talk about that is Julian Appling, the president of Wisconsin Family Action. Julian is a longtime president of Wisconsin Family Action, and she's a fearless advocate for life with an incredible story to share. Here's Julian. It's great to be with you, and you're a longtime pro-life advocate. Could you give us some perspective on what's what it's been like to be in the movement for, for as long as you, you've led this movement for decades. And, and, and um, uh, um, just share with our audience as, as we recap 2022, what the, the past 20, 30 years that you've been pouring into this, what, what that's been like. Well, first, it's hard to believe I've been in it 25 years now, and I didn't think that would ever happen, but it but it has. And over these years, you know, we've been very much involved with this, with the life issue. And I've always, Craig, been honored and humbled to be a part of it, to work with other pro-life leaders here in Wisconsin, as well as around the country. But I don't think we ever, ever really believed that we would see a day when Roe versus Wade was overturned. We worked for it. We prayed for it. We hoped for it. We dreamed about it. But um, all those years that we've been working, we, we knew that we had to keep making progress. We kept trying to get bills passed that would restrict and regulate abortion within the confines of what the federal courts in particular would allow us to do. And so it's always been an honor and very humbling to be able to do this work on behalf of the most vulnerable in our society, and that's our preborn children. And, and so you and I were out there for the preborn children praying and, and, and advocating on the Supreme Court steps in December of uh, 2021. Uh, um, you uh, are the president of Wisconsin Family Action. There's 39 peer organizations in other states in America uh, that were leading the way alongside each other, brothers and sisters in arms. 
Uh, why don't you recap that uh, really uh, uh, set the stage for a wonderful 2022, what we did there together. Well, yeah, we were closing out 2021, right? And we're all gathered at the on the outside the U.S. Supreme Court on a beautiful day in Washington D.C. And you could just feel it, Craig. You were there. You could just feel the energy and the momentum and the hope and the encouragement that was there that day. I'm so glad that I made that trip. Um, I'm glad I just didn't let anything else get in the in the way because it was a day that was remarkable, and. We, as you know, we didn't couldn't hear all that was being said in the court during orals that day, but we knew what was happening because it was being relayed to us even later, and we knew some of the details. But we heard the speeches from the people who were pro-life, and and then we heard the speeches from the people who were pro-abortion, and it was night and day difference. We offered hope and light and help and encouragement, and they offered the exact opposite. It was just an absolute delight to be there with people of all ages from all across America, day unlike any other. And, and you know what, for me it was, I was taken by it because you and I both come from union states, Midwest states, uh, uh, you lead in a purple state, I think mine's sliding a little bit more to blue in, in uh, Michigan. And um, you know, everybody out there that were on the pro-abortion side were paid to be there and they had pre-printed signs. And on the pro-life side, it was organic. We had progressives for life. We had LGBTQ leaders for life. We, we had uh, uh, people uh, uh, just singing and dancing uh, uh, together. And, and it, it, you're right, it's a wonderful day. And that led us to anticipation. The next phase that we went through as we went into 2021 or 2022, we began the year anticipating out of what we heard reported from those oral arguments was that Roe versus Wade was in peril. So why don't you share with our audience what that first uh, uh, several months of 2022 were like when we weren't really sure what was going to happen, but we were very hopeful uh, of a good outcome. Well, I think that's a good description. It was a hopeful time for us. We knew what we had heard. We'd read the transcripts. We'd listened to the recordings of the oral arguments. We'd talked to our attorneys, you know, all over the country, all of us as family policy council leaders, we have wonderful legal people involved with us and they were giving us a t their take on it. And everybody came to the conclusion that in some way, shape or form, uh, the Roe versus Wade was going to be some, in, in some way curtailed some way modified uh, in our in our wildest dreams we were hoping for a complete overturning of it and that the court would rule that you know there was no constitutional provision for abortion and that was that was what we were i think in the back of our minds yes lord please give us that and um but it was kind of like sitting on pins and needles for uh, six months. We knew it wouldn't come out until probably late June. Craig, remember how many times we heard along the way, oh, it's coming out this day. It's coming out this week. We heard, started hearing that, I think, in April or May. And so every every time we'd hear that, we'd all be gathered around our computers watching SCOTUS blog, <laughs> you know, waiting for that, for that decision. <laughs> Maybe SCOTUS blog was the one that started it. They probably got a lot of uh, viewership last year. And, and uh, you're right, it was pins and needles. And, you know, we're, we're a nation of laws, right? We've, we've seen some horrible injustices in, in American history from slavery to women's suffrage uh, uh, movements that, that people needed to rise up and defend their rights and, and, and protecting the human life before people are born is no different. Um, but we expect 
law and order. We expect people to follow the rules. But then while we were waiting, something happened that was different, different in the history of our nearly 250 years of, of American history, uh, where some people motivated by partisanship or emotion or, or, or uh, gamesmanship or career advancement, whatever it was, we don't know yet, they, they leaked uh, uh, what turned out to be largely the the uh, ruling of the United States Supreme Court. And I think a lot of people chalked that up to politics, but it was more than that. It was more than that at an institutional level, but it was more than that. We're talking with Julaine Appling of the Wisconsin Family Action, and that had a very dire consequences for your organization. So why don't you share with our audience as we're recapping 2022 what that leak felt like and, and, and what it led to uh, um, for your organization and your employees. Well, I remember sitting in, in, in my den at home on the evening, uh, that Monday evening when the Dobbs uh, opinion leak happened. And I remember seeing all those people immediately showing up at the U.S. Capitol, right? I mean, it was so programmed, so predictable, so orchestrated. There they were. And you could just feel the tension in this country rising once that leak came out where it was favorable to our position as pro-lifers, because we've known all along there is no constitutional provision to kill the unborn. It's just not there. And, and you know, we, we're waiting for the right court, but we knew that there were a lot of people who disagreed with our opinion, and they've had 50 years of thinking they had a right to, to kill a, an unborn baby. And so we anticipated all week that there was probably going to be some further demonstrations, some kind of attack or something like that. But we never in our wildest imagination, Craig, thought that it would happen to us. But on the following Sunday, May 8th, which was ironically Mother's Day, I got a call when I was at church early in the morning working on a, a, a ladies brunch that we had not just been broken into, which was the original report, but we had actually been attacked. That people who disagree with our position on life thought it was appropriate for them to throw two Molotov cocktails into actually my office window. And then because the Molotov cocktails didn't go off as well as they would have liked to and done enough damage, they set a fire in there. And they did quite a bit of damage in, in there. And so we have been involved in an investigation since May 8th. And I must say too, for everyone, at this point, there has been no one apprehended, no one taken in for questioning. There's been nothing uh, done on, on our case as far as that's been reported to me, but we're one now of a hundred or so where that's that's true. So um, the Dobbs leak has had profound implications for us. And by the way, I'm just back in my office two, uh, just what a month and a half, two months ago. And I jokingly say now I've gone to 24 boxes that need to be unpacked that had been hauled out after, during the cleanup and now I got to get that taken care of. But um, by God's grace, we said, look, you're not, we're not gonna be intimidated by the bullying and the intimidation tactics. We are going to continue to do what we must do. And that is to always speak the truth and stand up for the life position because it is the right position. And, and it takes all of us doing what we can every day to, to move this forward. Well, Jelaine, you, you, you may not receive this well, because you're going to push it off, but you, know, you got to listen to me. You're an American hero in, in the finest traditions of Americans that stood strong when crosses were burned in, in, in their front yard and their churches were set on fire. And 
that were beaten when they crossed bridges, you know, and, and marched for civil rights and women whose husbands endured job loss and humiliation when their when their spouses fought uh, for the right to vote. And it takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of fortitude. And you put yourself out there for 25 years. And this is deeply personal attack on you and your safety, as well as that of your staff. So I, I just want to say on behalf of really everybody listening, Family Policy Alliance, the you know, your peers, and, and I know uh, um, not just millions, but but tens of millions of Americans um, that appreciate your your willingness to stand in the gap and, and to put yourself on the line uh, to protect the lives of the unborn. And um, I want to thank you for that. And, uh, you know, so we, we did get the word that 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 rule was overturned. Um, and, and to wrap up our summary of 2022, that, you know, that that. That sent a bunch of people into action here, didn't it? Could could you give us a little recap uh, um, as we close out here? What 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 has happened in Wisconsin? Uh, what have you seen happen in in the country? And and um, and then we'll hold off. But I, I'll ask you what we're, what we're hoping for as we go into twenty three. But what happened in Wisconsin after Roe was overturned? And and what have you seen happen in the country? Well, while I was weeping for joy the day that that decision was handed down on June 24th, there were people here already machinating on how to weaponize that decision and use it against us going into the elections. Our attorney, our attorney general said that he would not, he would not enforce the, the 1849 ban that we have here, that pre-row ban that's very good, prohibits most abortions in Wisconsin, and our governor certainly did the same thing. So we knew we were in for a battle, and it, it was indeed, the best word is weaponized during the election. And they did their very best to convince people that a right was going to be taken away from women, that their health care was going to be threatened, and that people who held any kind of contrary view on exceptions or other things were, were just um, were, were not thinking clearly and not seeing things that they should see and understanding women and, and trying to protect them. So, you know, um, Probably it, it may have hurt us in the governor's race and the attorney general's race, but overall Wisconsin did okay in the elections, but it certainly took a toll here. And so it puts us at the brink of 2023, a brand new legislative session and lots of work to do. The issue of the life issue, the issue of marriage, the issue of family, the issue of religious freedom, Craig, knows no time restrictions. They are timeless. They are so foundational to our, our country, to our prosperity and our freedom. We can't take our eye off the ball at, at, at any moment. And by the way, thank you for the kind words, but I, I'm just one of 39 who would have done exactly the same thing exactly what I've done. Look at Victoria Cobb, you know, she's got a story to tell. There are other people with stories to tell. We are all in this together and it takes all of us doing everything we can every single day. And I'm honored to do it. Well, it's a privilege to, to work alongside you. And you're right, there's a lot of warriors in, in the movement. And uh, for those of you listening, there there is a link in this podcast where, where you've uh, downloaded it from where you listen. Um, to find your local family policy council. We want you to get to know them. We want you to support them. They need your support more than ever. And you've given me a great segue into the question that'll take us uh, out from this interview. You've got a lot of hope. You, you're not worried about the setbacks. You're, you're dusting off and you know your, your sandals and you're moving to the next uh, 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 fight here, Julian. That's what I'm hearing. That's what 2023 is, is uh, for you. It is. It's, it's about getting ready to get back into, you know, put the armor on and go back into the battle. And for people that don't like that, and that I, 
picture. It's just true. This is spiritual warfare, and there are lots of people arrayed against us, but truth ultimately will prevail. We just need to be good warriors, good soldiers, and do what we need to do, be equipped and ready to go into battle every single day. Well, amen to that. Um, this has been uh, a, a joy and a privilege to hear you. Julaine Appling, the president of Wisconsin Family Action, give us a recap on the life issue for 2022. We need you at Family Policy Alliance, Wisconsin Family Action, and all of the Family Policy Councils. Uh, uh, thank you, and Julaine, it's always a privilege. Thank you for being with us today. Well, thank you, Craig. We are very grateful for Family Policy Alliance and your leadership. Let's zoom out a little here and talk about the big picture. What happened federally in 2022? Joining me next is Congressman Mike Johnson. Congressman Johnson is in his third term representing the 4th Congressional District of Louisiana. He serves as the Vice Chairman of the House Republican Conference, as a leader on the Judiciary and Armed Services Committees, as well as Assistant Whip for House Republicans. Last Congress, he served as Chairman of the Republican Study Committee, which is known as the Intellectual Arsenal and the largest caucus of conservatives in Congress. He's a staunch advocate for family values in Congress, and I know you'll be encouraged to hear what he had to share when I I talked with him. Here's Congressman Johnson. Now, Representative Johnson, we, we can't look back at 2022 without talking about what happened at the Supreme Court for both life and religious freedom. But I, I think we can both agree that Dobbs would be on the top of both our lists. Can can you share and, and welcome to the show, Representative, can you share a little bit about the anticipation of this case over your decades of fighting for life and your thoughts on the leak, if, if you don't mind. I know you got involved in that a little bit. So talk about Dobbs first. We have. Hey, thanks for having me and congrats on the new program. It's it's uh, for such a time as this. Um, your voice is so important and, and I'm delighted to be with you. So, yeah, you know, the Dobbs opinion uh, was historic and it's, it's a day that many of us had worked for our entire lives and careers. I mean, it was a half century of jurisprudence that led to the, the murder of 63 million innocent unborn children in America. And the, the, the tragedy of that, the magnitude of it is, is just staggering. It's hard to calculate, of course, and we'll be living with the after effects of that uh, our in, entire lives and for generations. And, you know, the, the, the tragic thing about it is that there is no constitutional right to abortion. It, it's not in the Constitution. It never was. And uh, a bare majority of the court 50, 50 years ago uh, found the right to abortion magically in the text that was not there. It's not in the structure of the Constitution, not in its meaning, not in its actual language. So they invented it. And it took us a half century to overrule that. So Dobbs was uh, on a magnitude that is difficult to overstate. Uh, it was a, a great day for the country and it returned the issue of uh, over abortion as a legal issue to the people themselves through their duly elected representatives where it should always have been until these robed uh, magistrates took it upon themselves to change the law. So we'll see those battles for life play out uh, in the days to come. Uh, we are, are uh, very uh, focused on this, of course, in the House, and the House Republicans will continue to stand for the sanctity of human life. And over the next two years in particular, we'll hold the Biden administration accountable for any of their efforts to impede uh, the necessary efforts of the various pro-life states to, to save life. You know, we, we thought the leak on that issue uh, was, was critically uh, important as an issue because, you know, it undermines the institution itself. 
and uh, and it has a, a terrible effect on the operation of the court and on our system of justice. And so we've been working over the last, you know, since it happened, uh, over the last several months to try to urge accountability on that. And as we all know, the Supreme Court is doing its own internal investigation, trying to determine the source of that leak. I think the answers to that question are long overdue. And so we'll continue to press in the new Congress to ensure that this kind of thing can never happen again. Well, we're with Representative Mike Johnson of the 4th District in Louisiana. He's a leader in the House Republicans and and a well-known leader on uh, life, protecting life, as well as religious liberty. And um, we're looking back at 2022, Representative, and another uh, substantive. We'll get into policy in a second, but but let's stay on the Supreme Court, the Kennedy uh, decision. Uh, uh, give me your take on this. This is where Coach Kennedy prayed by himself, was not leading his team uh, in a in a school sanctioned event, but um, wanted to exercise his individual uh, religious liberty. Lost his job over it. T- tell our audience uh, the magnitude of that. What happened in 2022 as well, from your perspective? Yes, indeed, another big ruling with huge precedential value that came out of the court this term, and and we certainly all applauded this outcome. You know, Coach Kennedy was not violating anyone's rights. He was exercising his own. And the court ultimately determined that in a six to three ruling very decisively. They said that the school district violated his rights to free speech and their free exercise of his religion when he simply kneeled privately in prayer on the football game uh, after the after the game on the field. And, um, you know, I spent about 20 years in the courts, Craig, uh, before I got to Congress uh, litigating religious freedom cases and pro-life cases. And this is a big one. It was a very important precedent to make. And we stood for uh, the First Amendment once again. And on, on this stuff, Representative Johnson, it, that, uh, and you have been a leader and people look to you, you have a brilliant legal mind. I just want to stay on this thread for, for one more thing that, you know, people would say on the left that they were, were uh, trying to protect from the intrusion of you know, a view like Christianity or Buddhism or Judaism upon other people that, that, that were unwilling to do it. But in, in truth, over the decades, it, it turned into an abolition on the free exercise of religion. And we saw 303 Creative, too, where, where, where we had a, a person with a web design business that uh, um, was fighting for their right to ch- essentially choose their clients. You were out. Uh, um, on the steps of the Supreme Court for that. A lot of people took notice on that because of your legal background and your advocacy and the in the type of religious uh, liberty bills that you introduce are to protect a pluralistic society in, in all religions. And that was under attack, wasn't it, in the 303 case? You know, it certainly was. Um, the freedom to, of religion, the free exercise of religion is rooted in the right of conscience, which you can argue is the most fundamental right that we have after the right to life, the right to, to believe and to act upon those sincerely held beliefs, religious beliefs. And uh, that was under direct assault. It has been for years, of course, in the state of Colorado. They use this state, you know, anti-discrimination commission, so-called, uh, to target Christians and, and in particular Bible-believing Christians and those of Orthodox faiths who still believe in the traditional design, God's created order uh, for institution of marriage, for example. And here you had the state effectively uh, erring on the on the side of trying to force a content creator, a web designer in this case, uh, to do something that violated her most sincere uh, belief and her most sincere uh, right of conscience. And, you know, I, I do believe and hope that the Supreme Court is going to rule on the side of freedom again. They, they've done that. Previously, of course, in the 
masterpiece uh, cake uh, case, the fam Jack Phillips famous case, uh, they've ruled that, that the state doesn't have the right to apply these kinds of laws arbitrarily and to target uh, persons with, with viewpoints they disagree with. And we all better pray that that's the outcome from the court this time, because everybody, no matter what your belief as an American, you need to stand on the side of freedom. The state should never be in a position to have the legal authority to force someone to act and to speak uh, in a way that violates their sincerest beliefs. And, and that, that's a very serious issue. And we see that religious freedom is under increasing assault in our culture, in our politics, and we've got to defend it vigorously. Because we, as we used to always say, and it's certainly true, as religious freedom goes, um, so, so goes political freedom. And this is how tyranny takes over. And so we've got to defend the founders regarded as being our unalienable rights. Thank you for, for adding so much to this, our, our, our look back in 2022, and know that Family Policy Alliance and our foundation, Family Policy Foundation in our 40 states, uh, including uh, uh, the Louisiana Family Forum, the great Gene Mills will, will uh, stand with you as you go forward. And uh, God bless you and your work, sir. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed hearing from our guests today about the family policy highlights of 2022. Once again, I'm Craig DeRoche, the president and CEO of Family Policy Alliance, and this is Conversations with Craig. We'll talk to you real soon. Conversations with Craig is brought to you by Family Policy Alliance. Our vision is a nation where God is honored, religious freedom flourishes, families thrive, and life is cherished.